This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. In honor of the upcoming clash between same-day releases of Barbie and Oppenheimer, we asked our listeners to weigh in on some of pop culture's most contentious matchups, and boy, did you deliver. We've got NSYNC versus the Backstreet Boys, we've got Superman versus Batman, and who is the best Chris? I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes, and in this episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're competing to find out who knows our listeners best. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org elections. Here with me and Stephen today are our fellow pop culture happy hour hosts, Glenn Weldon. Hi, Glenn. Hey, friend. And also here, of course, is Aisha Harris. Hey, Aisha. Hey, Linda. We should start by saying that we will be covering both Barbie and Oppenheimer. This is not our coverage of those two movies. But like a lot of other people, we've been highly amused by the idea that they are mortal enemies the pink fashion icon versus one of the most important scientists of all time, the Greta Gerwig confection versus the Christopher Nolan epic. So we asked you, our listeners, to cast your votes on some of pop culture's really, truly important historic standoffs. (laughs) And in the manner of, say, Family Feud or Card Sharks, we're going to play a game where our objective is to guess what you said when we asked you. So each of us, your four hosts, will try to guess your responses to each of these matchups, and we will get the right answers from our sharp-witted producers, and we will see who got the most right. I love it. So we are going to start with uh, NSYNC versus Backstreet Boys. Now, this is, of course, your boy band matchup between the Justin Timberlake of it all and the not Justin Timberlake of it all. I will say off the top, I have only seen one of these bands live. (laughs) I think I can guess which one. I bet I can guess which one, too. I know which one. (laughs) (laughs) And I will reveal that at a later time. But I am going to go directly to Steven, our music guy, to kick us off with NSYNC versus Backstreet Boys. Now, remember, this is not who do you prefer. Right. This is who do you think our listeners prefer 
in the battle of InSync versus Backstreet Boys. Well, at the risk of doing a who wants to be a millionaire style filibuster, we can talk through some of the uh-huh. factors in play here. I think at the time, and again, many people will are screaming at their podcasting devices right now that I'm wrong, wrong, wrong. But I feel like for a long time, NSYNC was considered the better of the two, in part due to the Justin Timberlake of it all. Because Justin Timberlake had such a fruitful solo career, I think a lot of people are probably going to lean NSYNC. Now, countering that is, I feel like, first of all, there's been a little bit of a curdling of the public's relationship with Justin Timberlake in recent years. But but JC has become the ultimate NSYNC. In his place, I feel. You're right. If we had asked this question before the Timberlake decay, before Man of the Woods, for example, <laughs> I think we might have gotten a different answer. Before Man of the Woods changed everything. <laughs> I, I do want to say, like, the one thing the Backstreet Boys have going for them is that the Backstreet Boys have really stayed together as a group. And they're kind of enjoying mm-hmm. a certain omnipresence where they're popping up in commercials. The Backstreet mm-hmm. Boys will kind of say yes to anything. They're putting out Christmas albums as recently as within the last few years, whereas NSYNC is kind of like, that's Justin Timberlake's old thing, right? Yeah. yeah. So I do think the Backstreet Boys are gaining, Okay, but I'm going to say NSYNC 58 to 42 percentage-wise. Oh, my God. All right. Oh, I didn't know we were doing that. Oh, yeah, I didn't either. We're not. Only only Steven is. All right. uh, I'm going to go to you next, Aisha. What do you think, Backstreet Boys versus NSYNC? Well, yeah, Steven makes a good point that I hadn't actually really considered, which is, yes, Backstreet Boys are definitely still there, still around, and they are drawing in lots of crowds. Uh, So I think I lean toward Backstreet Boys, maybe, especially we have to consider our listeners, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. I don't know the exact demographic breakdown of our listeners, but I feel like a lot of them might lean more to the nostalgia and the very down the middle-ness of I want it that way versus like, you Uh know, pop or girlfriend. But I'm going to say Backstreet Boys is just like slightly ahead. All right. Glenn, what do you think? I'm saying old because, you know, as a single gay man, uh, I, every bar and club had everybody Backstreet's Back video on a loop and uh, I fell for it. And between that and it's kind of cultural cachet, the Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I want it that way. I think this is an advantage Backstreet. Yeah, I as I mentioned, I have only seen one of these bands. I was at the time seeing a music critic uh, who took me to a Backstreet Boys show that he was reviewing. Let the record show for the shippers out there. This music critic was not me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I uh, was shocked and amazed and impressed. Now, this was like 2005, I think. I was amazed and impressed by the strength of the continuing Backstreet Boys fandom and people who were still absolutely obsessed with the Backstreet Boys. So my inclination is Backstreet Boys. Mm-hmm. We got three Backstreet and we got one in sync. I am now going to open the envelope from uh, our producer. And the answer is, oh, in sync. In sync. What? Well, not quite as much as Stephen thought, and it was close. 52.5% in sync, 47.5% Backstreet Boys. Oh, man. Well, you know what? For the record, our listeners are right. <laughs> so which is better? <laughs> no, they're wrong. They're wrong. I had a whole Backstreet's Back thing lined up, but nope, guess I can't do it now. The important thing is that I got it right and y'all yeah. got it wrong. That is what's really important. All right. Our second one, we are staying in the realm of music. We have Britney Spears versus Christina Aguilera. 
Uh, Aisha, I'm going to go to you first. Brittany versus Christina, what do you think? I think that maybe this was an unfair matchup. (laughs) No shade to Christina, but I think that Brittany's lore and her legend has very much only been, you know, burnished in the last, I don't know, five, 10 years. There's a lot of goodwill toward her. And also, I think that our listeners are willing to acknowledge that, like, Brittany has the stronger... uh, I guess, pun intended. She has a stronger uh, catalog that has lasted longer, I think. There are, you know, a handful of Christinas, and I can see the pitchforks coming out now with people who are Christina fans. But I don't know. What do you think? I'm going Brittany. I'm going Brittany. I think this is a very difficult question because it can and has divided households. It has divided mine. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's Brittany, bitch, as far as I'm concerned. But my husband is ex-Tina all day. I wasn't really so much a hit me baby guy for her because I found that video very creepy. It wasn't aimed at me. But in terms of all time outstanding scene partners, people talk of MC Scat Cat. But for me, the chair <laughs> in the video for Stronger yes. deserves its due. I think in terms of iconic chairs, you've got Archie and Edith's, you've got Cherry, then you've got the chair from the Stronger video. And I also think the end of the conservatorship has gotten a lot of more folks in her corner. I think Brittany all the way. Yes. All right, Stephen, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, I do think if we're talking about strictly about vocal talent, you know, I, I think that's where Christina Aguilera pulls significantly ahead. As somebody who wrote condescendingly about both artists uh, in their time, I am going to say that this is Brittany in a landslide. All right. My trick with this one is I think people are not all answering the same question. Some people are going to be answering, who are you fonder of? Mm-hmm. Some people are going to be answering, who has better songs? And some people are going to be answering who is more talented. In the end, because the fondness and the better songs to me probably will favor Britney, although I agree that on sheer vocal talent, a lot of people might go Christina Aguilera. Although I I think Britney Spears is a good singer and a very good performer. Mm, But I'm not sure that her vocals are as as virtuoso-ish. Melismatic. (laughs) I mean, many have argued that Christina does too much of that. Yes, they have. Well, exactly. They're both very talented. They're both very good at what they do. Yes. I'm going to go Britney, and now I will open the envelope. Oh, it is indeed Britney, Mm -hmm. bitch. And uh, pretty, pretty powerfully so. We have... Britney Spears at 70% and Christina Aguilera at 30%. So our folks, they, I'm sure, support and adore both artists, but Britney walked away with that one. Well, I think the other thing we haven't even factored in is that Britney's music, I think, has lived on in lots of movies and TV shows. It's constantly popping up. There's there's also a lot to be said for having one like really really towering highlight that people think of when they think of you and toxic is such a yeah. complete banger that I think if you're kind of comparing highlights, I think that works in Britney's favor as well. Listen, I was just riding the Peloton to Toxic the other day, so I completely <laughs> will go along with that. All right, next up we have Superman versus Batman. Now, I am going to go to you first, Glenn, with the caveat that I'm going to limit you to 30 seconds. <laughs> oh, God. Because I know all of your Superman and Batman thoughts. Uh, I know that you are a Superman guy in your heart, even though you have you know written about both. So hit me. What do you think our listeners did 
go. Okay, they chose Batman. I, the unexamined take is that Superman is not relatable, he's a Boy Scout, he's boring, and that Batman is human, he's one of us. Both of those takes <laughs> fall apart because Batman's a rich jerk who started out his career defending his rich friends from jewel thieves and whatnot, and Superman started out as a purely idealistic, which maybe makes him unrealistic, but that says more about you than it does about the character. He was someone born to privilege who chooses to use his amazing power to be of use, to help others, not to punish crime or to seek his own version of justice, but to help others. So his roots were always as a progressive icon, champion of the press, but it's clear that Batman has penetrated the zeitgeist more effectively. Uh, there are reasons for that, which you could read a book about. <laughs> a lot of people think they could be Batman in the same way that they think, even if they're struggling to make ends meet, that they can someday be a billionaire because America is magic and capitalism favors effort. So Crypto, bro. <laughs> I'm going to say it's definitely they went Batman. All right. Very good. Thank you, Glenn. And thank you. Thank you for being a good sport. Stephen Thompson, what do you think? I mean, I think Glenn just laid out a really clear and cogent case. I assumed when you called on Glenn, you said, okay, Glenn, you have 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I think I would have said Batman pretty easily a few years ago. I think that maybe our listenership's patience for rich jerks who think they can save the world, uh, uh, that patience may have waned. So I think it's close. I'm going to say Batman 5347. God. All right. Aisha, what do you think? Batman. <laughs> that's, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> that's enough. I'm going to break with the crowd and go with Superman. I think Superman is more fun, brighter, and shinier. And there's a difference between do you like the recent Superman movies better or the recent Batman movies better than Batman versus Superman. So I'm going to go with Superman much cooler. Hit me with the answer, uh, Jessica Reedy. Oh, I got cream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Batman, 72.5%, even wow. better than Britney. Superman, 27.5%. This is what is wrong with the world. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Well, maybe they just need to make better Superman movies. There is that. Not the rich jerk. <laughs> oh, Listen, I love our listeners, but I also love Superman. I love our listeners, but rich jerks will not say this. <laughs> True. Uh, we are going to go now to a favorite of uh, television viewers of my proximity vintage Aunt Viv 1 versus Aunt Viv 2. Now, this, of course, is The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Janet Hubert played Vivian Banks in the first three seasons. Daphne Maxwell-Reed played Aunt Viv in the fourth through sixth season. As we learned over the last few years, Hubert reportedly had a feud with Will Smith. She left the show. They kind of reconciled during a reunion special that happened recently. Aisha, I, I know that you have strong feelings about this. You were communicating earlier. <laughs> Kick us off with Aunt Viv 1 versus Aunt Viv 2. Okay, was this a fair fight? No, but no. I thought it would be fun to sort of see. And I think it's kind of one of those eternal questions that never really needed an answer, but it's just fun to bat around about. And I think it's very obvious that it's Aunt Viv 1. And yes, we can point to, of course, the classic moment where she's dancing in that pastel pink mm -hmm. uh, leotard. I think that is, of course, a brilliant moment. But there's just something that shifted with the in between season three and then the, like the first three seasons and the last three seasons when they switched over. And it's not Daphne Maxwell Reed's fault, but the energy shifted. I think maybe the writers to blame because the show just kind of went downhill. This is not surprising. I think it's Aunt Viv in a landslide. I'm going to even bet that it's Aunt Viv even higher than Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Agree. So, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I, I will give away. I agree. I think it's also going to be on Viv 1. Uh, Glenn, you want to say on Viv 1, on Viv 2? Yeah, of course. Just in the wake of the reunion, the Fresh Prince mm-hmm. reunion, where she makes her case with such dignity and without bitterness, but she does not let him off the hook. Takes him to task. Mm-hmm. You got to go with Aunt Viv 1. Yeah, Stephen? Yeah, I, I have so much sympathy for both of these actors, neither of whom deserve to be compared in such a way that the show kind of put them into into that kind of no-win position. I think in light of the reunion, it's a complete landslide. I totally agree with Aisha that it's going to be a higher margin than Batman. I'm going to go 80-20, Aunt Viv 1. So what we should have asked is Aunt Viv 1 versus Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I think a similar landslide would have transpired. Yeah. All right. Go ahead, Jessica. Holy moly, 79% mm-hmm. Aunt Viv 1. I'm wow. surprised 19% went with Aunt Viv 2. 21, 21% Aunt Viv 2. <laughs> we are going to move on to an off-camera story close to all of our hearts. Benefer 1.0 versus Benefer <laughs> 2.0. Now, what we are comparing here is Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck first started dating in 2002 after meeting on the set of the hit Oscar-winning movie Gili. They got engaged later that year, and they confirmed their breakup in 2004. Time goes on. Ben Affleck marries Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Lopez marries Mark Anthony. Uh, They have kids. They both eventually get divorced. They reunite as a couple 17 years later in 2021 and got married last year. Now, We asked our listeners to think about, are you a bigger fan of, like, the young, fresh, off of Gigli Benefer, (laughs) or are you a bigger fan of the later, (laughs) world-weary, seasoned, seasoned, more seasoned Benefer? Glenn, I know this is the most important thing to you. Yeah, yeah. don't care. Um, But look, I think this is going to be another landslide, right? Yeah. It's got to be 2.0 because people coming together again, having weathered the world, um, having scars that give them character and wisdom, and this notion of knowing one another, but also being able to experience the person that the other person has grown into for the very first time, obviously it's better for 2.0. Yeah. All right. Uh, Aisha, what do you think? I mean, to counter that, I think there are a lot of people who are very Marie Kondo about everything and they're like, I love mess. And the mess <laughs> of Benefer 1.0 is something that a lot of people do look kind of fondly on and with nostalgia, you know. I, I remember living through that time period and they were inescapable. Basically, they're the Liz Taylor and Richard Burton or the Olivier and, and Vivian Lee. But I do think Glenn is probably right. People do love a love story, especially one that finds people returning to each other after many years and many other loves. So I think our listeners probably lean toward 2.0, but maybe not as much of a landslide. Interesting, interesting. Stephen, what do you think? It's really hard to separate what I think listeners will pick from my own strong prejudice in this race. As somebody who's in his early 50s and really likes to think that I'm doing better at life in my early 50s than I was when I was kind of going around making a lot of Gili. (laughs) (laughs) Your own private Gili. I love a long and tormented path to where you're supposed to be. I'm going to say Benefer 2.0. I strongly feel that way myself, and I'm going to say that the the audience feels the same way to the tune of 61% to 39%. Here's my thought. When these people got together as young people when they were younger and so was I, 
you know, at that time I heard they got together and I was like, Ugh. when they got back together 20 years later, I went, aw. <laughs> <laughs> they were richer. They were more famous. There was more reason than ever to go. Ugh. And yet I went, aw. <laughs> you knuckleheads. <laughs> For exactly the reason that we've been talking about. You knuckleheads. And I had a warm response to it. I'm going to guess our listeners did, too. I think it's going to be an even bigger landslide than Stephen's predicting. I'm going to say closer to the 70-30. Uh, nope, nope, nope. Stephen was right. 62.9% oh Benefer 2.0. <clears throat> but we all got it. 37.1% Benefer 1.0. I am doing a terrible job in this game, I just want to say. <laughs> I am the clear loser. But yes, we were right about Benefer 2.0. I think it's sweeter for all of the reasons we've talked about. Aww. We are going to move now on to a song face-off between two songs that Dolly Parton says she wrote on the same day in uh -huh. 1972, Jolene Versus I Will Always Love You. Oh, this is a tough one. All right, Aisha, I'm very curious. I know that you know your Dolly Parton. What are you thinking about this, this standoff here? Well, look, I think that I Will Always Love You is one of those songs that everyone knows. And that is in part because not of Dolly, who, of course, she wrote it, but of course, because of Whitney Houston. And Dolly herself has said at various points, like, oh, once Whitney sang it, it was no longer my song. So I do think that maybe people, listeners might be sort of judging this poll on the strength of that performance by Whitney Houston. Of the records rather than the songs. Yeah. But then mm -hmm. Jolene has had definite resurgence in the last five-ish years, 10 years, maybe like having Miley Cyrus perform it. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that people can just really relate to that song in many ways uh, about someone trying to take their man or thinking, being jealous of someone who they think is trying to take their man. I feel like our listeners probably lean more towards Jolene, also because no one's really been able to take that song from Dolly. Exactly. All right. That makes sense to me. Uh, Stephen, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with Aisha. I just think this is a totally arbitrary metric, but I feel like Jolene is just cooler. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. I feel like Jolene is just like a really kind of infinitely cool song. And I do think it's relatable. I think it's more TikTokable. I'm going to say Jolene, but 55-45. And our, our, our listeners are known for being really cool. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. They bend like a willow when the winds of fashion change. They're incredibly cool. They're incredibly cool. All right. Glenn, what do you think? I don't think there's a contest here. I mean, it's Jolene. The precision of the guitar in Jolene. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Stephen, help me out here. Just You can almost feel like she's clicking it off with her mm -hmm. nails. Like, it's just, it's so perfect. And, you know, Dolly's version of I Will Always Love You is the one I actually prefer because I think she's performing the story of the song, the meaning of the song, whereas Whitney is performing the emotion of the song. <laughs> you don't particularly care for emotions. <laughs> Glenn's dead inside. No, just the emotion <laughs> of the song. When you deliver the emotion of the song so purely, you reflect... You become the song, right? Anyway, I think listeners are going to go with Jolene. All right. Um, I think they will, too, even though I want to recognize the iconic status of the Whitney Houston I Will Always Love You recording, which is a tremendous vocal. I would go with Jolene also. It is, to me, the more re-listenable song. It is the song partly just because it's a, it got a little bit less of the heavy, 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 heavy exposure that um, I Will Always Love You did. But Jolene is the one I would easily go back to more uh, to listen to. So, all right, hit me with the answer. 
Jolene, 65.1%. I will always love you, 34.9%. So we're in that uh, firm preference kind of place that our listeners have been landing in, which is like that 65, 70, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to kind of learn uh, how they how they think a little bit. All right, so we have only one more left, which is now look. <laughs> we decided to stage a battle of the Chris's. <laughs> Who constitutes a Chris is a complicated question. <laughs> this idea of the Chris's originally arose in the realm of the sort of summer blockbuster Chris's, I would say. Mm. So it was Chris Pratt. Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, and Chris Pine. Those became sort of the who's the best Chris Chris's. There are, we should point out, other Chris's. Yes. I have learned through this process that it is the position of our editor, Jessica Reedy, that the best Chris is Chris Messina. Mm -hmm. But Chris Messina was not included as an option because, as she put it, he is undoubtedly the best Chris, but he is not a core Chris. It would mm. not have been a fair fight if we included Chris Messina. And yet we did on Viv 1 versus on Viv 2. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, there are even other other Chris's that we could have included, right? Uh, Christopher Walken, you know? Yes, I had a few <laughs> listeners complain about him not being included here. But the point is we stuck with the kind of the original group of four as there are a core four of us. Yes. These are the core four summertime Chris's. So in terms of who our listeners chose, uh, Aisha, I'm going to go to you first. Who do you think our listeners chose? My thinking is that if I had to rank it how I think our listeners would choose this, I would say first place, Chris Evans. He is, as far as I know, not really done anything that's annoyed people. Um <laughs> Forgive me if I'm wrong. That is our bar. <laughs> there, there might be something I'm forgetting, but like um, I'm basing this purely, well, mostly off of their, you know, presence outside of the franchises they are in, uh, because I think that is partially what is driving the fact that we are even having this conversation. Uh, so Chris Evans, I'd say, is one. But I'm going to say Hemsworth is second, just because I feel like there's a lot of love for the Thor movies and the Thor character. Third, Chris Pine. And then Chris Pratt. Well, we know he's annoyed a lot of people. <laughs> so, and I think a lot of our listeners would lean toward finding Chris Pratt, uh, his outside persona, as uh, not the greatest. Yeah. Evans, Hemsworth, Pine, Pratt. That's my vote. All right. Stephen, what do you think? I'm very close to the exact same as Aisha. I have Evans first, in part because of the goodwill around. You know, Captain America and Knives Out. And not another teen movie, which is a great movie. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think I think his film roles are going to click with people. And I think his outside persona clicks with people. So I think Evans is one. But I have Pine at two. And maybe that is my own pro Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves bias in play. But I feel like Pine, there's, there's some goodwill toward Pine. So I have Hemsworth at three. But those are two and three are the ones I'm really stuck on. And then I have Pratt bringing up a very distant um, fourth. All right. Glenn, what do you think? I'm going to go in reverse order. Uh, the era of Pratt is over. And uh, Pratt is a Pratt, as the English would say. Uh, he's no number four. Hemsworth's take on Thor in Ragnarok felt fresh. It no longer feels fresh. And when you see him in other roles, he kind of is a cipher. He kind of fades into the background. Well, Ghostbusters, wasn't he kind of the breakout in yeah. that? I don't know. Yeah, he was funny in Ghostbusters, but in kind of the same way. Uh, I would personally go... 
Evans than Pine, but I don't think listeners will. I mean, Evans seems like a good guy, but Pine, for me, has it all. Like, he's making fun of himself. He's got great pipes. He's got musical theater kid energy. I don't think listeners are going to feel that way. So it's for me, it's number four, Pratt, Hemsworth, three, Pine, two, and Evans, one. For what it's worth, I would also put Pine my personal list as yeah. well yeah. as number one. Yeah, Pine is my favorite, but it sounds like, Glenn, you and I have the exact same rankings. Hmm. All right. I feel like... Chris Pine has really come on in the last couple of years as he ad- has adopted this long-haired, light linen suit, <laughs> naked-ankled persona of sort of the California residing philosophy professor. Sure. Okay. And, and Harry Styles spit receptacle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <clears throat> but hot and sort of like weirdly chill about everything like mm-hmm. the meme of him at the press conference just kind of like zoned out surfer philosopher vibe yeah that's true yeah surfer philosopher but aging mm-hmm. well so i feel like people have really taken to that but i'm not sure whether that's just a me thing and like a my little bubble thing but i'm going to risk <laughs> it all and i'm going to go with pine first mm. evans second hemsworth third and Pratt, whose past work, everybody knows I was a huge Chris Pratt guy. Exactly. On Parks and Rec, in the Lego movie, in the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Since then, he has kind of left me cold. I want to wish him well and all that stuff. But despite my past fondness for him, I am going to put him forth. Okay, now we're going to get the rankings from the judges. Guess who got it right, baby? Wow. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Chris Pine, 43.2%. Okay. Chris Evans, 31.4%. Ugh. Chris Hemsworth, 17.8%. Chris Pratt, 7.6%. <laughs> well, we did not have enough, have enough faith in our listeners, I guess. I know. should have trusted oh. my guts. Uh, that I'm telling you, that sexy linen suited philosophy professor vibe has been working on people and it's been working on me too. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's flexing those acting muscles, playing your creepy guy and don't worry, darling, and all kinds of other stuff. And oh, I'm so proud of myself. Gosh, I'm happy to finish on a high note because before this, I was really tanking it. But we would still agree scoring wise mm. that I won. <laughs> you don't get extra points for <laughs> throwing in actual percentages. My selections have yeah. been 100% correct up until we got to uh, yeah. Evans and Pine. Steven, you and I are in a tie. Wow. Oh, man. Hmm. You weren't tanking it at all. You and I have tied. I was sure that I had tanked it since I was the only person who got Superman wrong. But I think that given that Steven made a couple of very, very accurate guesses about percentage-wise kind of stuff and went out on that limb and volunteered (laughs) to say more than he needed to say in his great tradition. What a suck up. (laughs) I am going to agree to grant the edge to Stephen Thompson, winner of the listener opinion game. You can visit the trophy anytime you want, buddy. You may have the trophy that does not exist, and I will visit it at your home. And uh, I will bring portraits of all four Chris's in the correct order. (laughs) In the proper order. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, just... I know what it is, the proper order, you know, of yeah. no, we, no, we got that. No, we um, 
Well, we want to know what you think about all of these things. How was our analysis? How do you think your fellow listeners did answering these questions? What really surprised you? What went in a different way than you expected? Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Glenn Weldon, Aisha Harris, Stephen Thompson, thank you so much for being here to compete successfully in this game of listener predictions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you haven't signed up yet, you want to show your support, and you'd like to listen to this show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour, or visit the link in our show notes. This episode, which required quite a bit of producer uh, heavy lifting, was produced by Hafsa Fathima and Mike Katzif and edited and, of course, score-kept by our great Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, historians, authors, athletes, and more about why people do the things they do. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com podcast or wherever you listen. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.